Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Argentina, Brazil, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Portugal, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist in history from Nazi Germany. Going to start out this week in Argentina, mass protests continue against Javier Millet's government's new omnibus bill. This is a bill that would shore up some of the more legally questionable aspects of his original executive order, which essentially ended most rights to strike in Argentina. It changed how government workers negotiate their contracts. It ended a bunch of government contracts. It seeks to eliminate public education and public health care in Argentina. Of course, there were mass protests about this, many of them at the site of the legislature in Argentina. However, the legislature in Argentina is trying to rebel against this vote, trying to deny the existence of a quorum, that is, a sufficient number of legislators in order to hold a vote at all. This is a still ongoing situation, so uh, check for updates about this like right now if you're curious about exactly what's happening. In the meantime, I want you to know that at these protests against this omnibus bill, there were also counter-protesters, extreme right-wing figures who showed up in order to attack leftists, feminists, union activists, etc. And some of these people were wearing normal international symbols of the right wing, what have now become normal international symbols of the right wing, but which are relatively unheard of in Argentina itself. Specifically, one of these counter-protesters at least was wearing the Gadsden flag, that is the Don't Tread on Me flag, which is a sign of international right libertarianism. Moving on to Brazil, the Brazilian police force have raided the homes and offices of many people in the Bolsonaro family because of their international spy ring. Yeah, things have gotten a little bit crazier for the Bolsonaro family. Specifically, the police raided his family home and the offices of his son, Carlos, who is a politician in Rio de Janeiro in Rio. Specifically, they were charged, or, you know, they are accused, suspected, of spying on their political opponents using government forces. This is a moment of serious concern inside of the Brazilian military and military intelligence and secret intelligence forces, because it means that the police are like being used by one part of the Brazilian government against other parts of the Brazilian government. That's really dangerous, really unsettling, but it also means that the Bolsonaro family is facing serious consequences already, only having been out of office for a year for their behavior when Jair Bolsonaro was the president last year. Moving on to Germany, the AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, Germany's extreme right-wing, sometimes identified as a populist party, has lost a major election in Thuringia. This is the first major election that they have faced after the revelations of their participation in a neo-Nazi conference and meeting to decide the future of immigration policies in Germany, at which they and neo-Nazi organizations pledged a mass deportation scheme out of Germany. Now, they lost this election, which is good news. However, I'm sorry to tell you that they lost this election by a pretty close margin. The AFD remains a very popular party in Germany. Moving on to Austria, there are also mass protests in Austria against the rise of the far right there. This is an increasing trend in Europe as more and more extreme right-wing parties gain traction in their countries. 
In Hungary, we got two bits of news. The Hungarian government of Viktor Orban has capitulated to pressure from the rest of the European Union to fund the Ukrainian war. Orban was holding up an extremely large amount of aid to give to the Ukrainian military to continue its fight against Putin, which is especially important given the fact that the Republican Party in the United States is also trying to hold up military aid to Ukraine in order to, basically just in order to fuck with President Biden and his legislative agenda. This capitulation means that Orban is doing something that Putin doesn't want, which is interesting because Orban and Putin are sort of kind of allies. They work together at least a little bit, but not exactly in like a puppet kind of way. Orban is trying to be a fulcrum to use against the EU to get in good with Vladimir Putin, because he, it seems, is assuming that Russia will win the Ukrainian war. And this is not an unusual perspective in Hungary itself. The extreme right-wing party in Hungary called Our Homeland, or the Homeland Movement, which is a split from the Jobbik party, which was, it used to be a fascist party, but then it sort of like moved center-right after Orban's Fidesz party moved much farther, farther right in order to take its vote shares. So Our Homeland is a re-fascization of a formerly more fascist movement. Welcome to the 21st century. Anyway, the Our Homeland party, its leader, has specifically called for the annexation of a part of Ukraine should Ukraine lose the war with Russia. Specifically, they want the Ukrainian oblast, which is an administrative region that roughly corresponds to a state. Not exactly, but, you know, think about it that way. They want the Ukrainian oblast that borders Hungary. And this is because Hungarians say that this should have always been part of Hungary or that it was stolen from them. This particular kind of nationalism is called irredentism. It's when a nationalist movement believes that a part of a neighboring country rightfully belongs to them. This is extremely common in World Wars I and II, and we are seeing its resurgent uh, in Europe today. Moving on to Portugal. Continued polling in Portugal makes it look like the ruling Socialist Party will be out in the upcoming elections, or at least that they will no longer maintain a majority, which means that it is between them, the center-left party, and the center-right party, trying to form a coalition. It's likely that the center-right party will come out ahead of the Socialist Party, meaning that they will probably have to work with Chega, an extreme right-wing party, in order to form that majority. This is very worrying because extreme right-wing parties in Portugal have a long history of ruling that country. Portugal was run by a right-wing government allied with the military but separate from it for most of the 20th century. Moving on to news that is both in the U.S. and also in Romania, Andrew Tate, former kickboxer, influencer, and rapist, has been denied an appeal that would allow him to leave Romania for probably either the United States or the United Kingdom, where he makes most of his home or did make his home prior to his moving to Romania in order to engage in sex trafficking. As a reminder, Andrew Tate and his brother and some of their allies are charged with human trafficking rape, and other forms of sexual violence in Romania. They were charged with this last year and were held in custody by the Romanian government for several months. They are now out, uh, but they are held in Romania awaiting trial there. Moving on fully to the United States, a serial swatter from California, Alan Fillion, has been extradited to Florida to face charges. For those of you who are unaware, 
Swatting is when a person, a troll or, or an attacker of some kind on the internet, makes a false accusation that a building or a person needs to be attacked by a SWAT team. This is a way that these online trolls and attackers can harass people or possibly even get them killed by police forces. This is something that has risen in the 1990s as you know forms of online or dispersed terrorism rose, and they have reached prominence in the 21st century as a way to attack people whom these attackers deem to be less than human. So queer people, leftists, people whom they dislike. Fillion was specifically found out because he threatened a mass shooting at a mosque in Florida. Previous attacks of his had targeted other mosques, historically black colleges and universities, and also the FBI. Paramilitaries have posted up on the United States border with Mexico, as the United States state of Texas has defied the federal government, saying that they are going to post a bunch of soldiers and National Guardsmen there. They are also trying to build parts of the fence with Mexico that Joe Biden has not completed. However, many paramilitary forces that might have otherwise been interested in participating in this kind of thing have been reluctant to go down to Texas because they're worried about getting caught up in another big roundup like January 6th. Some of them are also specifically saying that this is a psyop, that this is a ruse, you know, a, a false attempt to get them to be activated to do something violent or dangerous in an attempt by the Biden administration to, you know, get a bunch of people to do something stupid that they might get arrested for. Further in the United States, a man in central Pennsylvania, his name is Justin Moan, has been charged with beheading his father and displaying the severed head on an online video. His father had worked for the police system. I saw it reported somewhere that he was the deputy sheriff, although I couldn't find particular verification of that. Moan had apparently fallen into a online right-wing echo chamber hellscape because when holding his father's severed head on the stream, he called for a rebellion against the Biden administration, hoping that this would you know, spark a revolution or in a violent uprising against the Biden regime. And speaking of opposition to the Biden regime, Donald Trump has lost a defamation trial against a woman whom he raped in the 1990s. He must now pay over $80 million to her, but is appealing, and that appeal will take some time and also might not be legally possible at all. Additionally, many right-wing figures are saying that his attorney, uh, was incompetent to the point that she must have been some sort of leftist plant. This is, of course, an example of the wonderful circular logic of the extreme right wing. If ever they lose, it's because of somebody else. You know, it can't be because they fucked up or because they're just wrong. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Carl Friedrich Hawker, a photographer and Auschwitz Commandant Attaché. Hawker was himself a minor figure in the Holocaust, but he turns out to have been major in his documentation. He was born in 1911 to a working-class family. His father died serving Germany in World War I. He had economic troubles, the same kind of economic troubles that you would imagine a youth would face in Germany in the 1920s. He had a job as a bank attendant, but lost it, because of economic troubles. 
He then joined the SS and the Nazis after the Nazi seizure of power in the early 1930s. Specifically, he remained a member of the SS and was quickly put into the part of the SS that ran concentration camps. At the beginning, these concentration camps were largely for political opponents prior to the establishment of the full Holocaust system, but he was more firmly established in the concentration camp system in 1939, specifically as an aide to the camp commander Martin Gottfried Weiss, who at the time read, led the Neuengamme concentration camp in Germany, which held German Jewish people and also political dissidents to the Nazi regime. Hawker worked his way up to be the top aide to camp commanders in other camps after following Weiss around various other camps for a while. During the extermination of Jewish Polish citizens, he was finally transferred to Auschwitz in 1944. He fled in 1945 ahead of the Soviet Union until his capture by the British in Berlin in 1946. There he was imprisoned for a year and a half before he was released as a part of a denazification scheme. After this, Hooker returned to regular life, despite the fact that he was deeply involved in the administration of the Auschwitz prison camp and also several other concentration and extermination camps. Specifically, he apparently returned to work back at the same bank that he had been laid off at before the war. Disgusting. He was brought back to trial in 1963 and convicted in 1965 for his participation in the Holocaust at Auschwitz. The prosecutors were hoping to get him on the fact that he knew about the extermination policies for some 40,000 Jewish people, specifically from Hungary. However, they could only prove that he knew about 1,000 of those deaths. He was imprisoned for five years and then released back into his banking position again in 1970, but was sentenced to prison again in 1989 this time for purchasing Cyclon B, the compound that many Nazi extermination camps used in order to gas people at a different concentration camp that he had previously worked at. He was released again from prison and continued to work in his banking position until he retired in the 1990s. But these aren't the things that Hawker are famous for. The things that Hawker is famous for is that he took a bunch of photos while he was a, an attaché working for the commandant of Auschwitz. Specifically, the photography that he took was not of the extermination itself, but of the everyday lives of the commanders and staff at the Auschwitz prison camp. It's entirely possible that you have seen these photos. Sometimes they go viral or make the rounds on Reddit or Twitter or something. They are Nazi commanders playing the accordion. They are playing music. They're singing. They're having picnics with women. They're going on dates. They're smoking and laughing. Hawker understood these people, his friends and his, you know, fellow workers at Auschwitz, including Joseph Mengele uh, and other high-ranking officials at the camp. He understood this to be their everyday life. He was just a man taking pictures of his friends. As it so happened, his friends were some of the largest and most terrifying monsters in the 20th century. These photos resurfaced in the late 20th century and made their way to the United States Holocaust Museum where they remain on display today. I highly recommend looking at these photos if you want to understand the concept of the banality of evil. Hawker died this week in history, the 30th of January, the year 2000, of old age, still proclaiming that he knew nothing about the mass murders that he was directly and so obviously involved in. So, Carl Friedrich Hawker, we will see you 
in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And in lieu of going to my Patreon, go to Medicine Sans Frontières, that's Doctors Without Borders, uh, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, or the Gaza Children's Fund, or your charity of choice. You can reach me and ask questions or issue clarifications at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. That's spelled out in all one word. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15. And you can reach me on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C. That's 15 Mins of Fash. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.